All right, Don, I'm ready. You want me to take the opening, huh? Well, Jello again, it's 2018, and this is Buck Benny talking. I thought I'd come out and introduce this because I've never presented this in quite this way before. Every once in a while, I bring you something new and something kind of special. Uh, this is one of the most special things I'm going to present to you, probably ever. <laughs> anyway, so what we have here is we'll do, I'll just run through what we're going to have. I, I linked a bunch of shows together. I've never presented it before quite this way. So tonight, to start out, we have the Jack Benny closed-circuit presentation that was meant for stations and employees, but not for the general public. And we're going to start with that. It's explaining that Jack's coming to CBS from NBC. Uh, and I'll get more into why that's happening and how that's happening and everything through these podcasts that we'll hear. Uh, so we present that. That's about 16 minutes long. Then after that, uh, we have something that uh, was donated to us by one of my listeners and just fits in here really well. Uh, because when Jack was moving from NBC to CBS, he, of course, had been at 7 o'clock on NBC for decades so he wanted that time slot well of course that time slot is taken by somebody else at the time that somebody else was Gene Autry and Gene Autry moved his show to Saturday nights to create space for Jack to move in to his Sunday nights at 7 on CBS now Jack being the great guy is appears on the first episode of Gene Autry's new show that was now on Saturday nights as a guest star and so we'll be presenting that so this next episode after the closed circuit uh, show uh, is the Gene Autry show with guest appearance by Jack Benny and it is from uh, January 1st 1949 then after that we go into Jack's first show for CBS from January 2nd 1949. Following that, we have Phil Harris's show, who's still back on NBC. So now Jack's on CBS and Phil's on NBC. They still follow back to back, but now Phil, when he leaves Jack's show, has to go across town to a different network to get onto uh, CBS. It wasn't really across town; it was a few, I think, a block or two away. Anyway, but it was a little farther, I think, than than going to. NBC, so he had to leave from CBS and travel over to NBC. So we'll have that episode presented to you, I think, in the best sound quality we've ever presented it. And then after that, to close out the night, we jump back 10 years to 1939 and present the very first episode ever to have the New Year's fantasy skit. Um, so you're going to have a packed night, enjoy everything. Uh, I certainly am. And I'm glad we can bring this to you. 
And uh, thank you folks who've been donating to the podcast. It really helps out. And let's get on with the shows. Enjoy. Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. It's been a while. I, uh, it's been Christmas time. Uh, we've been snowed in like crazy out here in the Northwest. Um, crazy season. Anyway, and my wife had some surgery and things, so I just didn't have time to uh, create podcasts. But I did uh, post a bunch of shows. I hope you've been listening to all the shows and everything. But I just could not uh, avoid doing a podcast uh, on this Jack Benny transition that's about to happen. In 1948, end of 48, uh, CBS, realizing television is on the horizon, uh, William S. Paley, who was the head of CBS, reaches out to a bunch of NBC shows and tries to entice them over to CBS. He's able to do it with Jack uh, Benny, and so Jack Benny comes over to CBS. Basically, he was able to do it with Jack because uh, Jack was getting taxed in uh, somewhere around a 90% tax bracket, where uh, he'd see 10 cents on every dollar he made. Uh, because he was making so much money, and NBC uh, was throwing money at him. But they, a lot of people were creating um, their own companies and would uh, use them as a tax break, huge tax break, because the company would make the money, and Jack himself uh, would own the company, but not uh, not have to be taxed at nearly the level he was um, when he was individually getting the money. Well, NBC was leery about doing this for him because the Jack Benny show was under the name Jack Benny and they just thought they'd run into legal trouble. Um, CBS, of course, was was willing to take that chan- chance and and by doing that, NBC would have to, uh, you know, uh, increase his salary tenfold in order to make it as lucrative to him as going to CBS. So, of course, they couldn't do that, so he goes to CBS. He did eventually go to tax court and things, but he prevailed, and it became um, uh, one of those court cases that changed a lot of things in, in Hollywood and a lot of things across the country as to how people use tax breaks and things. Anyway, so CBS gets Jack to come over to their uh, their side of the tracks. Uh, NBC makes a big deal about how it doesn't really matter. Um, People listen to NBC because it's NBC, and they'll listen to whatever's on Sunday night at 7 on NBC. And CBS is saying, uh, not going to happen. They listen to Jack Benny, they don't listen to NBC. So if if Jack Benny's over on CBS, they're going to listen to him over there. Well, this whole next show is sort of CBS talking to their uh, internal team of broadcasters uh, about what their what their plans are and uh, it, Jack Benny and Rochester and Amos and Andy are all in it. Amos and Andy is another show that CBS brought over. Um, but I'll go more into, into this whole thing in the next uh, I've got a number of episodes that are going to relate to this. So anyway, this first one is just an internal broadcast. I think it's kind of rare. I hadn't heard it uh, until just recently. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you again to each day. Um, I'll be running uh, another episode to, 
for this transition piece over the next few days. So here's the first piece of the transition uh, from NBC to CBS. Uh, thanks for joining us. See you again tomorrow. In this special closed-circuit broadcast to the managers and staffs of all CBS stations, Mr. Paley has asked that he might be the first to speak to you. Gentlemen, Mr. Paley. I have asked to speak first so that I might have the pleasure of introducing Jack Benny. In a few moments, we'll pick up Jack Benny and Amos and Andy, too, speaking in Hollywood. But before we do that, I want to take the opportunity to say something else. It is in many ways, I think, the most significant thing I could say here, and that CBS, in fact, can say to the world. It is not about the developments of the past few weeks which have happily resulted in bringing Benny to CBS so soon after Amos and Andy. We all can see what this means to our Sunday night schedule and to our competitive strength and prestige as a network. But I'm thinking of something more important. It's the network Jack Benny is coming to. The network we are today. CBS is now the leader. Today, not tomorrow. That is what I take deepest pride in as I talk to you. In the fact that CBS today, all of you, already have the largest audiences in all radio, day and night. The largest individual audiences, the largest average audiences. This is an achievement of which you can be particularly proud. It couldn't have happened without your management and your facilities, without your own great status in the community. And we all recognize, I think, that it couldn't have happened as it has in just this past year without the accomplishments of the CBS package program operation. We did not depend on the hope of bringing some established great programs of radio to CBS. We developed our own, our Godfrey, our My Friend Irma, our Suspense, our Miss Brooks with Eve Arden, our My Favorite Husband with Lucille Ball, and all the others. We developed them so well that CBS program ratings in the past year increased 14% on the whole, while NBC's program ratings dropped 7% in the same period. This is real programming le leadership, and it's the kind of programming leadership and audience leadership we intend to keep for you. That is why we are going to continue to develop our own creative program operation as intensively as we can. For out of this will come more Arthur Godfrey's and the Jack Bennies and the Amos and Andy's of tomorrow. Our programming progress and our programming hopes for the future only make us all the more delighted that we are to have the one and only Jack Benny joining forces on Sunday night with a great comedy team, Amos and Andy. I can think of nothing which more effectively will strengthen our position. There is no one else like Jack Benny, truly one of radio's best, and at the very peak of his audience attraction today. But uh, let us hear from him now, together with Amos and Andy. And what we're going to hear, I've been told, is something unique. Jack Benny and Amos and Andy in our Hollywood studios as they prepare for this closed-circuit talk to you. I don't know exactly what they're going to say, but at any rate, it's for our ears alone. And so here they are, with my best wishes to them and to all of you for a Merry Christmas and a Happy, Happy New Year. I, I wonder if this is the studio. 
Well, I'll have a look. Oh, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I think there'd be a sign on the door. Oh, Mr. Benny, can I help you? Yes, uh, Amos and Andy and myself are doing a broadcast for the managers and personnel of all the CBS stations. Oh, and yes, thought... yes, the boys are waiting for you. Studio's right down the hall. Thanks. I couldn't help saying yes to CBS. Say, Andy, there's Jack Bennett now. Oh, come in, Mr. Benny. The program's already started. Well, Amos and Andy, where's the kingfish? Uh, right here, Mr. Benny. Uh, can I help carry your money? What's that? Uh, well, what he is trying to say, Mr. Benny, is that all of the shows on CBS... And all of the managers and personnel of all CBS stations want to welcome you to the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, that certainly is nice of everybody. You say the program has already started? Oh, yeah. Mr. William Paley just introduced us in New York. Bill Paley? You mean he's on this broadcast, too? Uh, Yeah, sir. He is zigzagging in and out of the program from New York. Uh, He's listening to us right now. Well, I... He is? That's right, Miss Benny, yes. And as I was saying... Isn't Bill Paley a swell guy? Say, Kingfish, that boy really thinks on his feet, don't he? He even thinks when he's sitting down. Say, not only Bill Paley, but everybody's so wonderful here at CBS, even the doorman. You know, the other day he spent two hours washing and cleaning my car, and when I tried to tip him, he wouldn't think of it. He threw the dime right back at me. Yeah, sir, they're really fine people over here. Yeah, and just think, Mr. Benny. We and you has been on the air for so many years, and now for the first time... We'll be on the same network the same day. Yes, uh, right next to each other, too. Oh, we're really neighbors. Yes, we can drop in on each other and borrow a cup of sugar or a joke or two. Nothing like having neighbors that are your friends. You know, I hate to take advantage of strangers. You know, he got the right idea, Kingfish. I'd like to shake his hand sometime. Yeah, but how is he going to get it out of his pocket? As you know, fellas, I just can't help thinking again what a great man Bill Paley is. I hope he's still listening. Uh, Miss Benny, uh, you've closed your deal with CBS, ain't you? Oh, yes, yes. I've got a contract. Well, then why do you have to keep flattering Mr. Paley? Well, that's in the contract. Yeah. yeah well, now that uh, we're neighbors, we can have a lot of fun together. You can come over and be a guest on our show a few times, and we can go over on your show once. Yes, yeah. Wait a minute. Why should I go on your program a few times? You come on mine only once. Well, there's more of us. Yes, but you don't have the problem that I have with my cash. See, I'm under such a heavy expense. Yeah, well, anyway, why, we're glad we're all together here on CBS. And me and Andy want to thank all the fine people for all the nice things they've said about us when we moved over to this network. Well, the change will be good for all of us. Uh, I did a lot of checking up, and I found that CBS is the real leader of the field. Lots of young blood, new ideas, and the executives know teamwork and how to hustle. Of course, uh, Bill... Paley is such a wonderful guy. Yeah, and we would feel the same way even if he wasn't listening. Uh, Fellas, you've been here at CBS for quite a few weeks, and you know all the angles. Tell me, uh, uh, when does the ghost walk? Ghost? There ain't no ghost around here. Oh, you know, the the old day, the lettuce, that green stuff. What I'm trying to say is, when does that man push the little envelope through the window? Uh, And he means, when do we get paid? Well, that's one way of putting it. I... I suppose it's Sunday night right after the show, huh? Uh, no, it's, uh, Monday morning. Oh, shucks. That means I won't get any sleep Sunday night. I'm such a worrier. Uh, well, Mr. Benny, if there ain't nothing else that you want to know why uh, we'll be seeing each other then every Sunday night. 
And never Monday morning. Yes. And now, fellas, we ought to say a few words directly to the executives, managers, and personnel of all the stations throughout the country that will carry our program. You know, drop them a few hints. Well, we can't tell them how to run their jobs. They know that better than we do. But the more listeners we have, the better off we'll all be. Station managers, salesmen, personnel. When Amos and Andy and I come through your station on Sunday nights, for God's sakes, call your friends, stop people on the streets, do anything but get them to listen. Remember, you'll be doing this not only for us and for yourselves, but you'll be doing it for Bill Paley. He's such a wonderful guy. Uh, let's show everybody that there's only one network, and that's CBS. Well, I guess that about covers it. Amos, Andy, did I leave out anything? Uh, no, that was fine. Well, it certainly was nice to get together with you. Now we better be running along again. What's your hurry, fellas? Stick around. Uh, we'd like to, Mr. Benny, but we promised the Kingfish and some of the others that we'd drive them downtown. Ain't that right, fellas? Yeah, that sure is. Yeah, that's right, sure is. Well, so long, and I'll be seeing you. Yeah, well, so, so long. long. So long, Mr. Benny. Gee, Amos and Andy are swell bunch. Fellas, I just know we're going to have a wonderful hour on Sunday night. We return you now to New York. Thank you, Hollywood. Gentlemen, Mr. Stanton. Doesn't it sound good to hear those voices on our network lines and to know they'll be there every Sunday? But it wasn't easy to do this. For that matter, there is much still to be done, and that's what I would like to talk about. I want to tell you, in concluding this very pleasant closed-circuit meeting, something of what CBS and Jack Benny himself are going to do to meet the one tough problem immediately ahead of us. It is the job we face of switching NBC's Sunday evening audience, an audience of 17 years standing. It isn't going to be an easy job. We must move literally millions of radio families to new positions on the dial. We must change some of the oldest and strongest station listening habits in all of radio. And the challenge we face is to do it without any loss of rating for Jack Benny, even in his first CBS broadcast. In fact, we should give him an increased rating on CBS. Doing that, we can prove once and for all that the CBS stations are the best audience getters in network radio today. That is why we are going ahead with the biggest audience promotion campaign in history, to fight off NBC's own intensive promotion drive to hold their audience Sunday nights. As I think all of you know by now, CBS has taken a double-spread advertisement in the January 2nd issue of Life magazine featuring a picture of Benny, which is the largest picture ever to appear in Life. This ad also names all your stations, too. $37,000 worth of impact in this one advertisement alone. Jack Benny is being exceedingly cooperative in helping us to switch his audience. During Christmas week, he is going to make live appearances on five of our big audience shows. On the Lux program Monday night, on Suspense Thursday, on the Bob Crosby show Friday, on Saturday afternoon during the intermission of the Rose Bowl game, and on the Gene Autry show in its new time on Saturday, January 1st. As a topper, we are going to make a modification of the CBS system queue, carefully spotted during the day, so that all CBS listeners will get the news fast and often. We will be saying, this is CBS, where Jack Benny starts next Sunday, the Columbia Broadcasting System. In addition to all this network material, Jack Benny and Amos and Andy, too, have personally recorded special spot announcements for your individual use. These should be in your hands by now. In a few minutes, 
We will play some of them for you. Benny has also recorded a special five-minute interview for use by your disc jockeys. But we still need something else, I think. It is particularly important that we start at once to inform the audience that Benny is moving over in order to counteract NBC's announcements about Horace Height in America's number one spot. I hope, therefore, you already are making plentiful use of the new slogan that was wired to you a day or so ago, the one that reads, only ten more listening days until Sunday, January 2nd, when Jack Benny starts on CBS. And I suggest you keep using this day by day until both Benny and the audience are over on CBS together. We can't be certain of what NBC will try to do to keep their audience, but you can be quite sure NBC will make a desperate fight to do so, not only in working out the strongest lineup of programs they can beg, borrow, or invent, but also in heavy defensive promotion by NBC's own affiliates, in other words, by your direct competition. That is why we all have to hit this one really hard. We've got NBC on the run now, and we want to keep them that way. We've got to break a 17-year-old station listening habit, and I know no one in radio better prepared or better equipped to do that than yourself. Thank you all for your attention, and my very warmest wishes to you for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. In the time remaining, we'd like to give you a preview of the recorded promotion spots featuring Jack Benny and his cast, which have been sent to you from Hollywood. Hello, Jack Benny speaking. Hello, boss. This is Rochester. Is it true that your program is moved to CBS? That's right. On Sunday night? Yep, Sunday night. Same time? Yeah, same time. And you've got a new deal? Yes, I've got a new deal. Boss, how about a raise? Absolutely not, and that's final. Doggone new station, new network, new deal. But the same old boss. All right, boys, are you ready? Fine, let's go. Sunday night. If you're blue and you don't know what to do, CBS will fill a void. There, Jack Benny can be hoid. Boy, the lyrics are fine, sportsman, but I, I wish there was some way to improve the music. Oh, well, let it go. Ronnie. Oh, Ronnie. What is it, Benita? Have you noticed the commotion next door? Jack Benny's moving. Moving? That's wonderful. Let's celebrate. No, no, no. He's not moving out of his house. His program is moving to CBS every Sunday night. Donita, never, never do that to me again. This concludes our special closed-circuit broadcast. This is CBS, where you will hear Jack Benny starting January 2nd, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to a special episode of The Jack Benny Show. It's not really the Jack Benny Show. It's Jack making a guest appearance on the Gene Autry Show. Now, Jack had never been on the Gene Autry Show before, I don't believe, nor was he ever on it again after this. He's on here for a special reason. Jack was moving his show from NBC to CBS. And by moving from uh, NBC to CBS, Jack's time slot, of course, at CBS would be taken up by somebody. Because on NBC, he'd been out at 7 o'clock on Sundays. And, of course, he wanted that slot, 7 o'clock on Sundays, because that was Jack's slot. So, going over to CBS, he had to bump some show. The show that he bumped 
was Gene Autry. And so Gene Autry's show moved from Sunday nights at 7 to, I believe, Saturday nights at 7. So I would guess to do a favor for Gene Autry for moving his show, which actually was probably a good thing for Gene Autry's show anyway. I assume its ratings going up against Jack Benny weren't so hot. Now, of course, it would have a different night. But anyway, to pay him back in some way, Jack appeared on Gene Autry's show. So the last half of the, or so of this show is going to have Jack Benny appearing as Buck Benny, the character that he played, the Western character that he played so often in the past on Jack's show. So it's a really neat episode, and it, and it comes from exactly one night before Jack's show would make its first appearance on CBS the following night on Sunday. So... Uh, Sometimes I'll bring this to you on its own. You might be hearing it's on its own. Lots of times I might have it connected to the Jack Benny shows in some way. But I think you'll really enjoy this. And we're presenting the whole episode tonight. So you get a chance to hear some fun Gene Autry and some great Jack Benny mixed in as his guest. And the sound quality is really great. And I want to thank the uh, listener who uh, donated this to us. He... Uh, emailed me that he had this and I'd never heard it before and I said I'd love to hear it and he said I could go ahead and share it out there Um, so here you go enjoy welcome to Melody Ranch with Gene Autry I'm back in the saddle again out where a friend is a friend Folks, your friendly local merchant who sells and displays healthful, refreshing, delicious double mint chewing gum invites you to meet all the folks here at Melody Ranch. Johnny Bond, Pat Buttram, the Cass County Boys, the Pinafores, Carl Cotner, our special guest Jack Benny, and yours truly, Lou Crosby. Right now, here's the boss man himself, America's favorite cowboy, Gene Autry. <laughs> Way down yonder in the Indian nation Rode my pony on the reservation In the Oklahoma hills where I was born Way down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In the Oklahoma hills where I was born Many months have come and gone Since I wandered from my home In the Oklahoma hills where I was born Though a page of life has turned Many a lesson I have learned Yet I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation I rode my pony on the reservation In the Oklahoma hills where I was born Way down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In the Oklahoma hills where I was born Speaking for all the bonds of Oklahoma, allow me to congratulate you on the way you sung that song. Oh, you liked it, huh? Man, I never heard prettier music this side of the Red River. Well, thank you very, very much, my boy. I kind of thought you'd like it. And I kind of thought Johnny'd beat me to the draw there, too. Gene, you know, if you wrapped a mountain around yourself, laid in a pipeline straight down for ten miles and whispered Oklahoma through the bottom of the pipe, old Oklahoma ears bonded, come a-running. Yeah, And if you was to climb on top of that mountain on a dark night at midnight, Crosby, 
you could still read the writing on a package of double mint gum. You aren't a kidding either. And it'd say healthful, refreshing, and delicious. That's a mighty good way to describe double mint chewing gum. Because that swell double mint flavor sure is refreshing and delicious. A real treat for your taste. And that healthful chewing's a grand help for digestion after meals. Besides, chewing smooth double mint helps keep your teeth bright and clean, too. Yes, indeed, friends. Swell-tasting double mint gum is healthful, refreshing, and delicious for a fact. And it costs mighty little. So buy a couple of packages at a time and keep it handy for yourself and your family to enjoy often. It's plenty good to taste and plenty good to chew. Healthful, refreshing, double mint gum. Sierra Sue I'm sad and lonely The rocks and rills Are lonely too Sierra Sioux I want you only No one but you Sierra Sioux The roses we Their tears are falling The gentle doves No longer coo Oh, can't you hear My sad heart calling Calling for you Sierra Sioux The roses weep Their tears are falling The gentle dogs No Oh, can't you hear my sad heart calling, calling for you, Sierra Sioux. Well, thank you very, very much, gang. Thanks a lot. Say, Johnny, who is this a sashaying around to being on that pinto there? Appears like a stranger to me, Pat. Whoa, Agnes, whoa. Wait just a minute, boys. That's no stranger. That's my old pard, Jack Benny. Howdy, Gene, and don't call me Jack. When I'm writing, my name is Buck Benny. Buck Benny? <laughs> hey, Gene, why do they call him Buck? Because nobody can hold on to a buck longer than he can. <laughs> mm. Oh, easy there, gal. Easy, Agnes. Mighty nervous mare you got there, Jack. What's eating her? Well, she'd been nervous all morning, Gene. When I told her we were coming over here, she just couldn't wait to meet your horse champion. Mm. By the way, I'm a great admirer of your horse. You think I could have a lock of his hair? I'm afraid not. Well, Gene's kind of important to me. A lock of his hair would mean a lot to me, really. I'm sorry, Jack. 
but I'll never let Champion's tail become a toupee. <laughs> well, that's too bad. The silver streaks both come in the same place, too. <laughs> well, get down off your horse, Buck. Shake hands with two of my boys, Pat Butcherm and Johnny Bond. Howdy, men. I reckon I'm proud to meet up with you. Well, I reckon I'm glad to meet up with you, too, Buck. And I reckon it's a real pleasure, sir. Well, I, I reckon that... That I reckon I'm glad to reckon that you reckon. <laughs> I reckon we both reckon that we're glad to reckon. <laughs> we better get him out of here. He's wrecking the place. <laughs> Say, tell me, Buck... Uh, you still riding for the same outfit? Yep, the LSMFT Ranch. Mm. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of that brand lately. Yeah, and they're all so round, so firm, and so fully packed, too. Say, Buck, uh, would you like to chaw on a stick of double mint? Uh, thanks, Gene. I'll have a stick of Wrigley Spearmint, too. That way we can mention both of them, you see. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, Agnes. She's very je jealous when I mention other plugs. <laughs> Excuse me for making a mistake there in that first word. It's my, you know, kind of nervous over here. I can over understand. Here, over here on this ranch. A new ranch uh, to that's you. That's right. But, Gene, I want to ask you something about these cowboy pictures you fellas make. I don't know. They always seem so sad. Oh, really? I've never seen any kind of pictures quite so sad. Jack, uh, aren't you forgetting the horn blows at midnight? <laughs> no, but I'd like to. <laughs> while I'm here... While I'm here, I'd like to thank you for giving up your land on the Columbia Broadcasting Range so that me and my gang come over to CBS on Sunday nights and ride at our usual time. Well, you're welcome, Buck, and I'm mighty glad I was able to do you a favor. You know, Gene, the other night I was thinking I might make me a Western picture one of these here days. Oh, yeah? Well, it sounds like a pretty good idea, Jack, but uh, who could you get to produce it? Well, now, I'm mighty proud and plumb powerful glad you asked me that, Gene. <laughs> I never read stuff like this in my life. <laughs> plumb powerful glad. <laughs> All them's Western you... words, though, Benny. I know, I know. Lived on Western Avenue, six. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked me that, Gene, because you know I'm a producer myself. Yes, sir, just made a mighty good picture called The Lucky Stiff. <laughs> You're right, Buck. That horse does hate other plugs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if I can borrow a couple... Borry. If I can borrow a couple of your boys, I'd like to give you a sort of a preview of what I mean. Oh, that's a good idea. Just help yourself. Come on, boys. Yeah, Give Benny yeah. a hand. Here yeah. we are. Now, Pat, I want you to be the sheriff of Strongheart, Arizona, a little town that's going to the dog. See? Now, Dry Gulch Dan and his gang outlaws are going around rustling and stealing and killing in spite of anything you can do to prevent it. Then one day, you're sitting in your office and a man comes rushing in. Hey, Sheriff! Sheriff! Dry Gulch Dan and his gang just rustled off all my cattle and kidnapped my wife. Don't worry, neighbor. I've already sent for U.S. Marshal Buck Benny. He ought to be here any minute now. That must be him now. Come in. Howdy, Sheriff. I'm U.S. Marshal Buck Benny. Could have come sooner, but I was standing outside waiting for McHugh. <laughs> now, what, uh... 
What seems to be the trouble in this here town? Well, Dry Gulch Dan, the outlaw and his gang, they've moved in and they're running things their own way, Marshal Benny. Dry Gulch Dan, eh? I know that varmint. He's wanted for Denver for murder, wanted in Kansas for holding up the Pony Express, and wanted in California for double parking. <laughs> He's a bad hombre. Well, I once saw him rustle a whole herd of cattle. A whole herd, huh? How many head? I don't know. They was facing the other way. <laughs> Well, let's uh, see where I am here. <laughs> well, I can't read this right in well, Hey, this... what's Dan been up to now, huh? Rustling and kidnapping, Marshal. Kidnapping? That's right, Marshal. My wife was out in the barn, and they rustled her off with the cows. Couldn't tell the difference, huh? <laughs> well, let's map out our plan. I better make sure the door's shut here. Yeah, but first let me poke this ice pick through the keyhole in case anybody's peeking. There. Ever catch anybody that way, Marshal? Yep, one-eyed Pete. <laughs> Formerly Pete. <laughs> now let's talk about Dry Gulch, Dan. He sure is a tricky hombre. Yeah, where does he hang out? Wet Gulch. <laughs> He's even trickier than I thought he was <laughs> Well, let's go to Wet Gulch Get up, boy, faster Get up, Agnes Come on Are you armed, Marshal? Yeah, got my fiddle and plenty of extra string But that ain't no deadly weapon It is the way he plays it <laughs> You said it. I killed him with it in St. Joe. Wait a minute. Whoa, Agnes. What's that shack over there? That's Dry Gulch Dan's hideaway, Marshal. Careful now. He's a mean killer. Good. Sheriff, let you and me sneak up there and take him by surprise. Go ahead. I'll be right behind you. Okay, you go ahead, Marshal. I'll be right behind you. It's the first time I ever saw two men get behind each other. <laughs> All right, Sheriff. I'll take over from here. Ready? Ready. Okay, wait till I get my weapons here. That's all I want. I'll be ready to go. We'll get them this time. See that, Sheriff? These vomits all turn yellow when the time comes to face the music. <laughs> I'll just keep playing. That's enough, Marshal. They all killed themselves. <laughs> now, wait a minute. All but one. Dry Gulch Dan is still breathing. I'll fix that. Got him. Well, Sheriff, I guess that, uh, that winds up this job. Marshal, I don't know how to thank you for helping me clean up this outlaw gang. Shucks, it won nothing, Sheriff. But if you ever need help again, just let me know. Yeah, but uh, where can I find you, Marshal? On CBS tomorrow night and every Sunday night on my same time. So long, Sheriff. Giddy up, Agnes. <laughs>
thank you very, very much, Jack Benny. Thank you for being here with us, and we'll be listening to you tomorrow night over CBS for the first time. Mighty nice of you for you to drop for a and see us. Now, apologies, too, to all the United States Marshals and Sheriffs. Thanks, men, for letting us have a little fun. And now, folks, uh, here's a song that we've gotten a lot of requests for. The title Rude's, uh, I should say that again. Well, it could be rude or anything after talking to Benny the way I have here. The title reads, I'm a fool to care. The words sounds like he does, and the music sounds like this. I'm a fool to care when you treat me this way. I know I love you, but what can I do? I'm a fool to care I'm a fool to cry When you tell me goodbye You left me so blue When you were untrue I'm a fool to care I know I should laugh And call it a day But I know I would cry If you went away I'm a fool to care When you don't care for me Why should I pretend I lose in the end I'm a fool to care I know I should laugh And call it a day But I know I would cry If you went away I'm a fool to care when you don't care for me Why should I pretend I lose in the end I'm a fool to care <laughs> Folks, for today's story of the Old West Let's go back to a ranch near Phoenix, Arizona In the year of 1881 The West at that time was not the settled place it is today No, sir Instead, it represented the farthest outpost of American civilization. Ranchers and farmers worked endlessly and fought hard to bring stability and prosperity to this new land. When a man had wrestled with the land for a few years to make just a bare living from it, he was determined to keep it. Such a man was Ralph Bates. His struggle had been long and hard, but now he had several thousand acres of the best grazing ground in the state. Then one morning, that all changed. Hey, boss, look at this. Now, what is it, Tim? This sign. I, I found it nailed in our front gate this morning. Sign? What kind of a sign? Here. Read it yourself and see. Yeah, give me it. Notice, I am the owner of this property. All trespassers will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. If you wish to discuss the rental or purchase of this land, you can talk with me or my representative in Phoenix. Signed, Baron de Arizonaco y Caballero de los Colorados. Well, I'll be doggone. What do you think it is, Mr. Bates? A joke? It is. It's a pretty unfunny kind of a joke. Come on, Tim. We're going into Phoenix and find out what this is all about. Now, men, I suppose all of you have found signs on your property... 
signed by a person calling herself the Baron of Arizona. That's right, yeah. What about that? Well, you're not the only ones. Every place in town had them this morning. The Silver King Mine and the Southern Pacific Railroad, too. Now, I don't know what the answer to all this is, but I'm asking to be patient till I find out. May take a few days, but I'll get the answer, so go on back to your homes. You'll know what this is all about as soon as I do. Well, by the next morning, the number of men who had found the posted notices on property they once thought was theirs had grown by leaps and bounds. And it wasn't long until almost all the territory of Arizona was anxiously awaiting the decision of the federal officers who were carefully examining the claims of the Baron of Arizona. Finally, one morning, almost two weeks later, in the courthouse at Phoenix, that decision was handed down. Uh, gentlemen, we, uh, we have subjected the claims made by the Baron de Arizonaco, and we find that uh, under the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and the Gadsden Purchase, the government of the United States is bound to honor such land grants. Uh, quiet, quiet, please, gentlemen, please. This man is in possession of such a grant made to one Miguel de Peralto, who, while in financial difficulties, sold the deed to a Mr. Willing Grant, who in turn sold it to the, the uh, Baron. Gentlemen, the Baron's claim is legitimate. That's all I have to say. I can't understand that. Judge! Yes? Yes, just a moment. What is it? Just how much territory does that grant cover, Judge? Well, roughly 10,800,000 acres. Worth approximately $300 million. The claim includes the city of Phoenix, the Silver King Mine, and the right-of-way of the Southern Pacific Railroad. If I may, Your Honor. Uh, yes, Baron, what is it? First, may I thank Your Honor for this he extended to me today. And may I take this opportunity to advise the farmers, ranchers, merchants, the city of Phoenix, the Silver King Mine and the Southern Pacific Railroad, that if they want to continue to use the property they now occupy, I shall be happy to discuss, shall we say, remuneration? And so began one of the most amazing 10 years in the history of the West, indeed in the history of the United States. For overnight, the Baron of Arizona became one of the wealthiest and most powerful men in America. Everywhere special groups met to consider the merits of his claim. And in each instance, the decision was handed down in his favor. Every effort made to prove his claim false came to nothing. And at last, even the Congress of the United States recognized his claim. Negotiations were started with the government in Washington to settle with the Baron for $25 million. And as his fortune grew, his fame grew with it until he finally, literally, the fabulous Baron of Arizona. Hey, Kel, I see in the paper here that the Baron and his wife and kids are in Europe now. Yeah, they've been received by the King of Spain, and his kids are playing with the King of Spain's kids. Uh, how about that hotel he bought in St. Louis? Yeah, how about that mansion in New York and that big horse farm in Kentucky? Oh, brother, you think the government will ever settle with him? But I don't see how they can get out of it, and if you ask me, they're getting off cheap at 25 million. $25 million. In those days, that was a lot of money, even for a whole state. But before the government could pay it, 
They exhausted every possible channel. Federal workers visited Mexico, Spain, and Portugal, checked and rechecked, always with the same result. But then one day, almost 10 years later, all that changed. On September 10th, 1890, the Baron was addressing a group so of businessmen time. in the Phoenix Hotel dining room. Realize, that it is not a question of my coming to terms with you. You will either meet my demands or you vacate my property. I have been patient, I have been lenient, but I simply can wait no longer. Even as we meet, you are on my premises and I can... Yes, what is it? You, James Edison Rivas? That's right. I mean, my good man, I am the Baron de Arsanaca. Sorry, mister, I heard you the first time. You're under arrest for fraud. Come on, let's go. And so began the end of the fabulous career of the greatest forger and one of the greatest criminals in the world's history. His story was almost unbelievable. He had started his criminal career when as a soldier in the Confederate Army. He forged passes for himself and friends. After the war, while working in the Bureau for Investigating Spanish Land Claims in Santa Fe, he conceived the idea of his great plan. He not only forged his grant, but invented the man to whom the grant was made. He forged not one document, but hundreds of others. Documents which he planted in Mexico, Spain, and Portugal. Documents worth nearly a half a billion dollars. Yet his downfall was accomplished by a meek-mannered government employee who received a salary of $15 a week. Here's what he said. We examined manuscript after manuscript and parchment after parchment without being able to find anything wrong until I made chemical tests on the ink and found that the ink used 150 years ago was an iron ink. There were, however, parts of the Baron's documents which were not written in iron ink, but dogwood ink, the kind we use today. By erasing the present-day ink, we detected the forgeries and found that Mr. Rivas had substituted names and dates and other details for what had originally been written. In short, if Mr. Rivas had stood on his abilities as a forger, we would never have detected him. Unfortunately for him, though, he wasn't a chemist, and I, well, well, gentlemen, I am. And so 15 years after it started, the career of James Addison Rivas, alias the Baron of Arizona, came to a close. Thousands of ranchers, farmers, and merchants who had worked so hard for their foothold in Arizona returned to their stores and their acres of fertile fields with a sigh of relief. The greatest, most colorful imposter and forger in American history was safely behind bars. And once more, a colorful chapter was added to the saga of the West.
You know, folks, one of the greatest pleasures I get out of life is singing songs like this one. I guess the main reason is because I've actually seen and done what the song's talking about. Not just once, but many a time. But for you folks who haven't, I can't think of a better way to describe what I mean than to take you with us while we musically go riding down the canyon to watch the sun go down. A picture that no artist ever could paint. White-faced Catalan on the mountainside. I hear a coyote whining for its mate. Cactus plants are blooming. Sagebrush everywhere. Granite spires are standing all around. I tell you, folks, it's heaven to be riding down the trail when the desert sun goes down. To be riding down the trail when the desert sun goes down. Well, folks, that's just about it for this first day in 1949. But before we go. I'd like to thank 1948 for being mighty kind to all of us. Yes, sir, the old man with the sickle made his way for the youngsters in the three-cornered pants. And a new year's already started. I only hope the youngster got a chance to talk to the old man before he took over. Because if he did, he probably found out that there's an awful lot of work to be done in the next 365 days. The little fella can't do it all by himself, you know. But if a few million of us pitch in and help, we can make 1949 A.D. a year to remember. So here's a toast to you, my boy. May you find a better and happier world during your reign. And 12 months hence, may you pass on to a lad as yet unborn a job made easier by the class of 1949. That's just about it. This is Gene Autry wishing you all a happy new year on behalf of the Wrigley folks and all of us here at Melody Ranch. We'll be seeing you next week at this same time and over these same stations. In the meantime, keep thinking of us until we're back in the saddle again.
sure to join us again next week at the same time and over these same stations when the Wrigley people will again present Gene Autry, who may now be seen in the Columbia picture, Loaded Pistol. Here's a winter warning from the National Safety Council. There are twice as many traffic accidents in the winter months. So be twice as careful when you drive. Reduce speed to fit road and weather conditions. Use tire chains in snow and ice. Keep windshields and windows clear. Check and repair brakes, tires, chains, windshield wipers, heaters, radiator, defrosters and lights. Your own life may depend upon it. Jack Benny appeared to the courtesy of the American Tobacco Company. Lou Crosby speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Well, here we have it, the first show for CBS. On this show, Jack's finally got his team up and is and is going on on CBS. We had uh, over the last few weeks, we showed his last show for NBC. We've had uh, his special uh, that was broadcast for just uh, the folks at at CBS and not for the the audience. We've had the uh, the special 15-minute uh, closed caption piece that he did. If you haven't listened to any of that stuff, you might want to go back and look over the last few weeks. That's all been posted uh, as different podcasts. Well, today we have, like I say, the first official CBS episode. Um, it's kind of a humorous episode in a way. Um, the... The reason it's humorous is not just because of Jack's humor, which is always good, but is just uh, the way they had to do it, which makes sense, I suppose. Um, you kind of get the feel of they're introducing going, yes, we still have Mary, yes, we still have Don, yes, we still have Dennis. I mean, you get all these, the characters get just introduced sort of throughout the show to kind of remind people, yeah, we still have this. Um, Mel Blanc comes on, does a character, plus does uh, the sound of the Maxwell. Yes, we saw the sound of the Maxwell. Uh, and Frank Nelson comes on, so it's just sort of a, sort of just a show that's establishing. Here are all, all the old characters. It's all the same, uh, same sponsor. We're just on CBS now. That sort of thing just kind of soothe the audience into going okay. This is all right. Um, with next week's show, they really, uh, I'm sure, had that planned out pretty well because this the very next show is totally not an introductory and saying everything's going to be the same. It is uh, bringing in Jimmy Stewart and showing, okay, we can do really good guest shows. In fact, next week's show is, I think, the best guest show that's been done probably on the whole, out of all the Benny shows ever. It's my probably one of my very favorite Benny shows, and I can't wait to get to that one. This one today, very good episode as well. Just kind of, like I say, kind of different with all the, the, the feeling of introducing everybody again. But, uh, and kind of, uh, kind of fun just hearing the... The fact that they're at CBS for the first time and that sort of thing. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Um, have a great week. 
We'll be back again, of course, with more Benny on Tuesday night with the Best of Benny, uh, continuing the Fred Allen, the start of the feud between Fred Allen and Jack Benny. And then on Thursday night, of course, we'll be back with another Jack Benny episode from 1939. And uh, that that episode will be from 70 years ago, where these episodes are from 60 years ago. Kind of a neat comparison between the two. Um, I certainly am enjoying the 1938 episodes quite a lot. I'm sure you folks are, too, if you've been listening to them on Thursday nights. Uh, some of the differences that I've noticed, you know, having the Jello commercials, I find them much more uplifting than the uh, tobacco commercials. Um, the show in general is just kind of a looser feel. Um, everybody's just kind of, it's, it's, it's like we're just getting established, we're excited. I guess, I guess I compare it to what's currently going on. You have, um, the current, uh, presidential, uh, inaugurations happening in here in a few weeks and people are getting geared up for that and sort of thing and you can see Obama's people are excited and, uh, kind of like, we're ready to go, we're raring to go, and that's sort of where Jack Benny is in 1938. His team's established, he's brought, we just brought Rochester on board, Um, he's just done a lot of things that uh, ignite the cast, I mean, Andy Devine hasn't been on all that long yet, Well, and Phil Harris, too, is only a couple years into it, they just, they have the feel of, oh, everything's working great. So that's where you're at in 1938. Where you are now in the Benny show of, of tonight, Sunday night, he's switching to CBS, a lot of that feeling of, oh, we're now we're starting a new network, we're excited. But at the same time, radio is um, has an uncertain future ahead of it. Television is coming into the rise. Benny's getting himself per, uh, set up to be able to slide into television. I mean, that's why this whole thing with CBS happened in the first place, to get him positioned to go into television. So there's lots of changes in uncertainty in 1949 that there wasn't in 1939. So uh, anyway, compare the two decades, and we'll see you again next week. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. Smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. Your level best. That's just how you'll feel when you light up a Lucky. Because Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up when you're low, calms you down when you're tense. Puts you on the right level to feel and do your level best. It's important to you as a smoker to know that fine tobacco can do this for you. And every smoker knows. L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Remember, more independent tobacco experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. It's good to know that fine tobacco picks you up when you're low, calms you down when you're tense. By putting you on the right level to feel and do your level best. That's the lucky level. So, smoke a lucky to feel your level best. Yes, the next time you buy cigarettes, remember, Lucky's fine tobacco puts you on the right level, the lucky level. 
where you feel your level best and do your level best. Smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. Get on the Lucky level where it's fun to be alive. Get a carton of Luckies and get started today. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. gentlemen, today marks Jack Benny's first program on the Columbia Broadcasting System. So, let's go back a couple of hours and pick up Jack and Mary on their way to the studio. Rochester is driving. Not so fast, Rochester. Don't cross the double line. Look out for that car. What's the matter with you? I'm driving as carefully as I can, boys. Well, just watch it, that's all. Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack, calm down. Don't be so nervous. I'm not nervous. And stop pacing up and down on the running board. <laughs> okay, Mary, I'll admit it. I am nervous, and you can't blame me. Today's my opening broadcast on CBS. All right, so you're opening on CBS. What do you mean, all right? Do you realize it's the first time my program will be heard in Alaska? Well, so what? I've yet to see a walrus smoking a lucky strike. <laughs> oh, yeah? I saw one last night. <laughs> that was Jerry Colonna. I'll have to apologize I threw him a fish <laughs> Anyway, Mary This is no time for joking I'm upset Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack Why should you be worried? You must have a million dollars Down in your vault I know, but I don't want to break up The serial number <laughs> I mean, Mary Stop asking me questions, will you? I'm in no... Rochester, I don't want to have an accident On the way to the studio now, slow down. I'm only going 12 miles an hour. Don't give me that. What does it say on the speedometer? Made in 1899. <laughs> I mean, besides that... Jack, you're working yourself into a breakdown. Rochester, see if you can get something on the radio so Mr. Benny can relax. Yes, ma'am. That concludes another broadcast by your friendly philosopher. And now for a special announcement. Remember, only two more hours and Jack Benny will be on CBS. Turn that off! That's all they've been broadcasting for the past week. Six more days for Jack Benny. Five more days for Jack Benny. Four more days. Two more hours. Well, Jack, if you don't like it, make him stop it. I will not. <laughs> I can't figure you out. First you don't like it, then you do like it. Well, I've, never, like it I've never seen you this all way. Right. He's been a nervous wreck all week, Miss Livingston. Last night, he didn't sleep a wink. He just kept tossing and turning and whimpering like a baby. Well, wasn't there anything you could do for him? I tried everything. I even threw him over my shoulder and burped him twice. <laughs> oh, Rochester, stop exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating, boss. You've even been talking in your sleep. Talking in his sleep? Yeah. Miss Livingston, who is William Paley? Uh, William Paley is the head of the Columbia Broadcasting System. Why? He has now replaced Henry Lamar in Mr. Benny's dream. Stop, Rochester. I, I never dreamed about Mr. Paley. Yes, you did, boss. All night long, you kept saying, P-A-L-E-Y, P-A-L-E-Y. Look, Rochester, I'm upset enough as it is without your discussing... Oh, fine. That's all I need now, a traffic cop. 
Rochester, he wants us to pull over to the curb. Caught you, didn't I? What's the matter, officer? Were we speeding? Don't flatter yourself. You went through a red light. Officer, the light was green when we started through the intersection. Yeah, I know, but it changed twice before this jalopy got across. <laughs> Look, officer, I'm afraid this is my fault. I'm in a hurry. I'm talking to the driver, so keep your... Bi- Wait a minute. You're Jack Benny, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. Well, then you must be on your way to the studio to do your first broadcast for CBS. That's right. Well, only a louse would give you a ticket on a day like this. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, shake hands with Officer Sam Louse. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, Mr. Benny, but duty is duty. Now, I'll write this. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Uh, excuse me a minute. This may be important. Attention all officers. There has been a holdup on 4th and Olive. Investigate a double murder at Hill and Grand. Only two more hours and Jack Benny will be on CBS. <laughs> Gee, they have that announcement on your radio, too. See, the police must like my program. Yes, they use it down at headquarters for the third degree. <laughs> third degree? It, twice I confessed and I didn't even do anything. <laughs> well, you can go, Mr. Benny, and I won't give you a ticket. I can't stand the tears in those big blue eyes. Thank you. Go ahead, Rochester. Drive on, will you? Just a second, boss. I've got to start the motor. Oh, gee whiz, Jack. I hope you don't have trouble starting it like you always do. Don't worry about that. I mean, yesterday I had the motor tuned. Go ahead, Rochester. Start it. Spike Jones? Mary, please. Rochester, try it again, will you? Don't worry, boss. I'll get this motor started. But close your eyes. Why? I'm going to use the whip. I don't care what you use. Let's get to the studio. See, Mary, they've got a nice lot here, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, here's your parking ticket, mister. Thank you. And, boy, be careful when you park my car. Why? <laughs> Come on, Mary. Uh, say, Jack, as, uh, as we drove in, did you see that big sign on the building? The big sign? Oh, what did it say? Uh, Jack Benny has switched to CBS. Phil Harris has switched to Sterno. <laughs> oh, yes, it was his New Year's resolution. Well, here's the artist's entrance. Let's go in. Oh, doorman. Yeah? I'm Jack Benny. I don't care who you are. Wipe your feet. Well, look, when Mr. William Paley comes in, tell him I want to see him right away, will you? Okay. You know, Mary, even though I'm trying to keep calm, I can't help being nervous today. I guess every actor feels oh, that way. Oh, Jack, look who's coming down the hall. Amos and Andy. Oh, yeah. They're coming this way. Hello, Amos. Uh, hello, Miss Benny. Hello, Miss Livingston. Hello. Hello. 
way, uh, Miss Benny, we understand that you're going to be on the network here with us. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, Miss Benny, uh, me and Andy just want to wish you a lot of luck. Well, thank you, boys. Thank you very much. Uh, say, Andy. What is it, Amy? Uh, that Miss Benny is supposed to be a big comedian. Uh, he didn't say nothing funny. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, just like I told you, Amos, he ain't nothing without Rochester. Were you boys talking to me? Uh, no, 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 we didn't say anything. Goodbye, oh, goodbye, goodbye. Oh, gosh, I'm such a wreck. Say, Mary. Uh, what is it, Jack? You know, Amos and Andy have been on the air for over 20 years as comedians. You know, they didn't say anything funny, did they? <laughs> well, it's just like I told you. They ain't nothing without the kingfish. <laughs> Here we are, Studio B. Well, I want to see what my dressing room is like. I'll meet you later. Okay. Oh, hello, Phil. Oh, hold it, fellas. Hold it. All right, break it up a minute. Hiya, Jackson. Welcome to Petrillo's Inner Sanctum. <laughs> look, Phil. Phil, I want to talk to you. Me? Yeah, look, at here it is a new year. We're starting on a new network. So, Phil, you've got to do something about your musicians. <laughs> Why, what's wrong with my lads? <laughs> look, Phil, look, I don't expect them to wear full dress suits. I don't even want them to wear coats or jackets. But for the love of heaven, why don't they wear ties? Well, Jackson, most of these boys are out on parole and they don't want nothing around their neck with a knot in it. <laughs> that I can understand. But the worst of all is your pal, Remley. He's a disgrace. Hold it, Jackson, just a minute now. Hold it. Calm down a little bit. Don't say nothing about Frankie. You ought to be a little more considerate of him. Since he was a baby, poor Frankie never had no mother or, or father. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Phil. I didn't know that Remley was an orphan, you know. Oh, he ain't no orphan. When he was born, his folks took one look at him and joined Parents Anonymous. <laughs> look, Phil, there's so much work to be done. I'm so nervous. Now, I want to make sure that you picked a good number for our first program. What are you and the boys going to play? Jackson have been given a plenty of thought. In fact, I've been thinking about it all week, and I finally decided on that's what I like about this song. <laughs> oh, no, Wait a minute. Oh, wait, Phil, don't start that over here. Now, I haven't told you this before, but that song is what drove Edgar Bergen into retirement. <laughs> now, believe me. Okay, Jackson, okay, if that's the way you feel about it. Now, look, about that dialogue stuff on this show, shall we try that old running gag about hunting bear? No, 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 you hook me on that too often. But hey, wait a minute. I'll tell you, let's do it. But this time, Phil, let me pull it on you. You see, I'll start it by saying, hello, Phil, would you like to come hunting with me up in the high Sierras? Certainly, Jackson. Are you going to hunt moose? No, I'm going to... Moose? Phil, that's not right. What am I supposed to ask you? Are you going to hunt bear? No, I'll be wearing buttons and bows. <laughs> oh, Harris, they might not let you sing your song on this network, but you'll allow some up somewhere. Phil, that's the last time I want to hear that joke. Now, play any number you want. i got to go out and look for Mr. Paley. All right, fellas, look, let's run over Dennis' song first. You all ready, kid? Yeah, I'm ready, Phil. Look up, look up, 
When everything's looking down Whenever you're low, let everything go Come out of that gloomy frown Look up, look up Whenever those clouds are gray It's gonna be fun whenever that sun starts chasing those clouds away There's no room for old man gloom, so shake him You're bound to take him Just try a smile or two, but whatever you do, look up, look up Don't ever give up the fight When everything's wrong, it's never too long Till everything turns out right So whatever you do, look up There's no room for old man gloom So shake him You're bound to take him Just try a smile or two But whatever you do, look up Look up Look up Look up Don't ever give up the fight When everything's wrong, it's never too long Till everything turns out right So whatever you do I've looked all over for Mr. Paley. Here he is, the head of the whole Columbia network. I can't find him. He must be around here someplace. Well, let's go in and rehearse the script first. We haven't got much time, you know. Okay, you know, the closer we get to doing the broadcast, the more nervous I am. Come on, let's get back into the... Jack, look out! Oh, for goodness sake, who was that? Gene Autry. <laughs> Gene Autry? Side saddle? <laughs> What a studio this is. If his horse has a better dressing room than I have, there's going to be trouble. Now, come on, Mary. I want to see Mr. Paley before we go on the air. And then we'll Oh, try... hello, Mr. Benny. I just finished rehearsing my song. Huh? Oh, hello, Don. I mean, Phil. Jack, it's Dennis. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, Dennis. Hey, wait a minute. Dennis, why are you wearing that top hat, white tie, and tails? Well, it's our first show on CBS, and I thought I'd dress up. Well, Dennis, I think that's very nice of you renting a full-dress suit for our first broadcast. Oh, I didn't rent it. This is the suit my father got married in. <laughs> oh. Well, Dennis, you should have had it cleaned. There's ketchup on the lapel. Oh, that's not ketchup. My father wouldn't say I do, and my mother punched him in the nose. <laughs> Look. Look, Phil. I mean, Dennis. Look, I'm glad you dressed up for our first show. Oh, you know, Mr. Benny, Charlie McCarthy starts on CBS today, too. No, no, Dennis. Now, don't get mixed up. I'm the only one who's starting today, not Charlie McCarthy. Well, that's funny. I heard the doorman say to somebody, we've got that dummy over here now. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who he meant. Well, it isn't Mary, so it must be either you or me. Dennis, don't bother me with that talk. I've got to go in and... Uh, say, Jack. Jack. What? Did you notice it? Certainly, Mary. I noticed it the minute I saw him. Well, uh, why don't you ask him? No, no, Mary. You ask him. Not me. All right, I will. Dennis. Dennis, I want to get something straight. Look it. You wanted to dress up for our first broadcast at CBS. Is that right? Uh-huh. 
So you put on your father's top hat, white tie, and tail. But why are you wearing hip boots? I couldn't find the pants. (laughs) Well, serves me right for asking. Anyway... I'll take one more chance. Dennis, why wear hip boots? Why didn't you wear your own pants? I did, but I lost them by force of habit. What? As I passed NBC, I walked by, but my pants walked in. (laughs) Come on, Mary. Instead of talking to him, I could have seen Mr. Paley. Now, let's go in and we'll... Hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello. Hello, Mr. Kitzel. Mr. Kessel, what are you doing here? Mr. Benny, I want to be among the first to congratulate you on moving to this network. Well, thank you, thank you. I hope you approve of the move. Yes, I do immensely. <laughs> CBS is my favorite network. Oh, you, you like their shows? Oh, yes, especially on Monday nights when they have my friend Herman and Locks. <laughs> That's, uh, Mr. Kitzel, that's Lux. Lux, Lux. I like them both. Uh, by the way, Mr. Kitzel, did you enjoy New Year's Eve? Oh, did I had a good time. But I think I had one drink too many. Oh, then you were, you were a little high. I, oh, my, I was stinking. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yes, shame on me. <laughs> and you know, when I sobered up, I found myself doing something terrible. I was kissing somebody's wife. Whose? Mine. <laughs> oh, well, Mr. Kitzel, we got to look over our script before we go on the air. It was nice meeting you again. The feeling is likewise, Mr. Benny. Goodbye. 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 <laughs> Come on, Mary. Let's go in, and we'll we have to rush this before we get through. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Hello, Joe. Testing, testing. One, two, three, four. Hey, what are you doing? I'm the engineer. I'm testing the microphones. Jack Benny will be on the air in a few minutes. I know, I know. Yeah, who wouldn't know? With all this fuss they're making, you would think they were getting Al Pierce. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you something, buddy. I happen to be Jack... Oh, Jack, Jack! Oh, hello, Mary. I mean, Don. Don, hello. Excuse me, Don. I'm so nervous today. Well, I can understand that, Jack. I'm jittery myself. I've got butterflies in my stomach. You have? Don, you could have the Northwestern football team in your stomach. They'd make more yardage than they did in the Rose Bowl. Now, what do you want, Don? Well, Jack, we'll be on the air in a few minutes, and you haven't run through the commercials yet. We can't do that. The audience has started coming in now. Well, that's good, Jack. We can get a reaction and see what we've got. Don, we're not going to go through... But, Jack, you're in it. I don't... I am? (laughs) You mean in the commercials? Yes. The boys are going to sing Frank Lesser's big song hit, A Slow Boat to China. Frank Lesser's song? Oh, well, that's great. Where are the sports? Well, here they are. Okay. Take it, boys. There is no burst to this song. Because we don't want to wait a moment too long to say that we'd like to get you on a slow bus to Glendale. All to ourselves alone. Strike, you see, we know you like them. L S L S M F F T. 
You said it. Why, we are riding all the time. We'll be fighting. Smoking that good old cigarette. We'd like to get you on a slow van to Van Me? On a slow freight to Frisco. Gee. All by ourselves alone. I can hardly wait. Open up that golden gate. Get you and tell you all about that cigarette. Please pay attention. I'm listening already at some rhyming. We'd like to get you on a slow plane to Plainfield. Plainfield? Smoking those luckies all the way. I'll just puff and puff. How about this clever stuff? We sure would like to get you on a rickshaw to Shanghai. A rickshaw? All by ourselves alone. We'll never make it. Well, listen, you know, you better be prepared for an encore. Well, that's all, Jack. The boys haven't prepared any more lyrics. Well, we're only rehearsing. Can't they add lib as they go along? How about it, folks? One more time. You see... You see, now, the audience likes the idea. They want it. Well, all right, Jack. The boys will just have to make it up. They've nothing prepared. Oh, that's what I mean. Ad-lib something. Take it, fellas. What's the difference? We'd like to get you on a walk to Waukegan. Waukegan. All by ourselves alone. Gee, I'd love to go, Cousin Cliff and Sister Flo. We have no lyrics that can be understood. But what's the difference? You've messed it up already, but good, poor lesser. We'd like to get you on a slow horse at Belmont. A horse? We want to hear you groan. I'll lose all my dough. I don't want to be a schmo. We'd like to get you on a sandwich to Denver. A sandwich? All to ourselves alone. Leave off the onion. You see, Don, you see, that was great. It's going to be swell on the show. Stand by, please. Three minutes. Three minutes? I can't understand why Mr. Paley didn't come down to see me. Now I'll be a nervous wreck all through my first show. Two minutes and a half. How do you like that? One, two, three, four. Hello, Mom. Dennis! (laughs) Get away from that microphone. I can't understand what... Oh, that must be Mr. Paley now. Come in. Come in. Yes? Mr. Benny? Yes? I'm Don Thornburg, the head of the Western Division of the Columbia Broadcasting System. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Thornburg? What what can I do for you? Well, I understand you've been looking for Mr. Paley. Yes, yes, I have. Uh, where, Where is he? Well, Mr. Paley is in New York. He only comes out here on urgent business. Well, this is... This is rather important, Mr. Thornburg, but perhaps you can help me. 
Well, I hope so. What is it? Well. Well. Yes, Mr. Benny, what is it? Well, do you have the authority to validate my parking lot ticket? <laughs> do you? Mr. Thornburg! Five seconds! Mr. Thornburg, come back! Two seconds! Mr. Thornburg! You're on the air! Oh, yeah. Hello again! This is Jack Benny talking. Mr. Paley! Mr. Paley! I was here! Ladies and gentlemen, travel on our highways is increasing. It is now 11% above the pre-war peak. So be careful if you drive the car or even if you take a walk. Watch for traffic lights. Observe safety and traffic regulations. The life you save may be your own. Jack will be back in just a moment, but first... Smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. Smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. You see, Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up when you're low, calms you down when you're tense, puts you on the right level to feel and do your level best. It's good to know that fine tobacco can do this for you, and that's why it's so important that you select and smoke the cigarette of fine tobacco Lucky Strike. Or as every smoker knows, L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. The experts, men who know tobacco, look to Lucky Strike for their own personal smoking enjoyment. Yes, more independent auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen smoke Luckies regularly than the next two leading brands combined. So, smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. That's how to get on the Lucky level, where there's real joy in living, where it's fun to be alive. The Lucky level, where you feel your best and do your best. Smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. Smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. Get on the Lucky level where it's fun to be alive. Get a carton of Luckies and get started today. And now, ladies and gentlemen, not to be outdone by the quartet, Mary and I have cooked up a little number. We'd like to get you to stay tuned on Sunday and listen to CBS. It'll be such fun for you and me and everyone. Get you and tell you how much you laugh at Spike. Next comes old blue eyes, Amos, you will surely like. With Andy. Then wait until you get Sam Spade to thrill you. Yeah. And guess when the villain will confess. I'm not going to say you'll have to listen in today. Then comes Luigi. You'll hear him on CB. Tune in on CBS. That's now our network. Tune in on CBS. Be sure to listen in to the Little Lucky Strike program, Your Lucky Strike, starring Don Amici on this network. And don't forget, on Saturday nights, the Lucky Strike Hit Parade, starring Frank Sinatra.
CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday, time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall family druggist. Good evening. This is your Rexall family druggist, taking a little time from behind the prescription counter this Sunday evening to speak for all 10,000 of us. The 10,000 independent druggists who have added the word Rexall to our own store names. You can always tell us by the orange and blue Rexall sign in our windows. The sign means that we carry the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. They range all the way from aspirin to penicillin, and they're as fine and pure and dependable as science can make them. We independent druggists recommend them to our customers because we know you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Fay Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Walter Scharf and his music, and starring Alice Fay and Phil Harris. The morning mail has just arrived at the Harris home. One of the letters for Phil is misaddressed, and he and Alice are debating whether or not to open it. But, honey, why shouldn't I open the letter? It's got my name on it, hasn't it? Yes, but it has an entirely different street address from ours. Besides, we live in Encino, and this letter is addressed to Phil Harris, Los Angeles. Obviously, there's another Phil Harris. Another... Oh, come now, Gertrude. <laughs> Listen, honey... Like the Taj Mahal and the Grand Canyon, there's just one of each of us. <laughs> Another Phil Harris. You better get some rest, honey. Look. <laughs> honey, this letter must be for me, and I'm going to open it. It looks like a very important epistle. <laughs> important what? A pistol. I-S-P-U-T-L-E. A pistol. <laughs> That's a word meaning letter. A pistol. <laughs> you know, you're very fortunate to have an educated husband. Yeah, ain't I? <laughs> you Yale graduates know everything, don't you? <laughs> Tell me, Phil, can you make out who it's from? No, I can't. The return address is smudged. All I can see are the words official business. And it ain't got no stamp on it, so it must be from the government. Hey. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I overpaid my income tax and they're returning some dough. Oh, no, no. Willie made out your tax return, and he never overpaid on anything. <laughs> how true, how utterly true. <laughs> Look, before I open the letter, I'd better check with Willie, huh? I'll get him on the phone and see. Good morning, Philip. Hello, Willie. I just called... Let me finish dialing, will you? <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry, Willie. You're here. Hey, look, Willie, I got a letter here from the government, and I think it might be about my income tax. Uh-oh. 
I knew they'd catch up with you. <laughs> what do you mean they'd catch up with me? I told you not to deduct the Wilkins family as a dependent. <laughs> A bookkeeper with jokes <laughs> Yeah, look, Phil The letter's not addressed to you So you'd better mark it Wrong address And put it back in the mailbox All right, all right So I'll put it back in the mailbox I'm going in the kitchen To make myself a sandwich I wish there was some way I could find out about it Alice, you should have taken that letter And put it back in the mailbox yourself Why? I don't trust that man I'm always suspicious Of anything he does Wouldn't surprise me If he were doing Some sneaky thing This very moment Maybe I am But you can't prove it <laughs> Hello, Frankie. Willie, I resent your talking that way about him. He may be a little irresponsible, but he's honorable. He's a man of principle, and I love him. Thank you, Alice. You may kiss me. <laughs> Frankie, please. I love you too, dear. I'll toss you to see who tells Curly. Oh, <laughs> not joking, Frankie. Willie and I were talking about Phil. Oh, him. Where is he? Uh, he's in the kitchen He's probably trying to steam open an envelope If I were you, Alice, I'd go in and check up on him hmm. I will not check up on him I trust him So do I I'm glad to see you defend my best friend, Alice Well, see you later Where are you going? Head to the kitchen to check up on Curly <laughs> Wonder why he'd want to steam open an envelope Hi, Curly Oh, oh hello, Frankie What are you doing? Well, I'm... Get myself a glass of milk <laughs> Oh Willie thought you might be in here Steaming open an envelope Well, of all the nasty, suspicious minds I have too much integrity to do a thing like that I'd no more think of steaming open an envelope Than I would have taken candy from a baby I ain't that kind of a guy And anybody who thinks that I'd steam open I an envelope I can't hear you, Curly just... The steam kettle's making too much noise What did you say, Frankie? I said the water's boiling for your milk. Oh, 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 I'll take it off. <laughs> Always take boiling water in my milk. It's an old Southern custom, you know. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> uh, now, shall we steam open the envelope, Colonel Harris? All right, all right. So I'm steaming open the letter. I got a right to open it. It's the wrong address, but it's got my name on it. Well, why steam it open? Why don't you just tear it open? You're right. I'll tear it open. This letter looks important and it might have a bearing on my whole life. I'll tear it open right now and see what... Well, what's it say? Who's it from? Well, it's from the Selective Service Board. It says, greetings... Greetings! Wrong Phil <laughs> Send it back. Get it out of here. Put it in the box. Tie it with the ribbon. Throw it in the deep blue sea. Turn loose of it. Get it away from This means you're being drafted. No, don't say that. <laughs> that ain't for me. It couldn't be. I'm too old. The Army couldn't be drafting me. Could they, Frankie? Could they? <laughs> I don't know, Private Harris. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Remley. They're only taking guys up to 25, and I'm almost a full year over that. <laughs> yeah, almost. Curly, why don't you admit your right age? That's why you're in trouble now. You go around telling everybody you're 25. That's just for publicity. Must be a mistake. I'm a veteran. I was a scoutmaster for four years <laughs> Besides, I was in the Navy in World War II They can't draft me That's what you said the last time <laughs> Now, Curly, I, I'm surprised at your attitude 
Are you trying to shirk your duty? It isn't that. <laughs> I was happy to do my duty when they called me the last time. I tell you, I'm too old for service now. It'll do you good, Curly. Don't forget, the Army builds men. Well, let them build a new one to take my place. <laughs> Why renovate me? <laughs> they retire overage destroyers. The least they can do is give me the same consideration. Ah, Curly, being in the Army's a cinch. Nothing to it. It's just like having a radio program. What do you mean? You get 13 weeks of basic training, and if they like you, they pick up your option. <laughs> but I'm happy with Rexall. I don't want to change sponsors. Uh, Curly, you, you should feel honored that you're being called upon. I know you wouldn't let me do it, but if I had the opportunity, I'd be glad to go instead of you. <laughs> Oh, gee, Frankie You do that for me? Why, that's the nicest gesture a man could make for a friend Well, uh, I, I don't know what to say except Drop me a line when you get to Fort MacArthur <laughs> No, Curly, you're right There must be a mistake This induction notice can't be for you Of course not On the other hand, it's possible that it isn't a mistake Cut! I heard you the first time of course, if I, if I had to go, I'd do all right in the Army. Yeah? Sure. With my personality, I'd probably be a general in no time. Mm -hmm. Right. I can just see myself riding into battle. The general said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. But his noble steed said, no indeed, go get yourself a jeep. The general said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. But his man of war just said, what for? And went right back to sleep. Then the general called the captain, told the captain to tell the sarge, to tell the privates that he personally would lead the charge. Now he made a loud and fervent speech. He made a strong appeal. And he said, good friends, just follow me and I'll lead you through the field. Then the general said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. But his noble horse said, man, get lost and walked right off the field. The general said, giddy up, giddy up, come on, giddy up. But his stallion booed him where he stood and called that gent a heel. Then that there horse come walking by, his noble head held high. And he walked up to the general, looked him smack dab in the eye. And he said, my friend, let's get it straight, let's get it straight right now. If you think I'm going to lead a charge, you crazy as a cow. The battle raged and raged and raged and the shells fell all around. But the general's dobbin did no bobbin, he just stood his ground. The soldiers fought and fought and fought and the battle was no cinch. But the general and his faithful horse, they didn't move an inch. The bugler blew his bugle, the comrades left the fray. The mighty war was over, so they proudly marched away. But the general on his noble nag, his face was screaming tears. Said, I'll make that old hay burner move if it takes a million years. Oh, the general said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. They left him so I'll never know if he ever made that darn egg go. With his giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. Oh, come on, horse, at least take me back to the officer's club. The General and his horse. Hey, look, Frankie. What? As long as this induction notice ain't for me, I'm just going to tear it up and forget about Wait it. Wait a minute. You can't do that. <laughs> 
You gotta go down to the draft board and make sure. If it's for another Phil Harris, they'll be nice about it and let you out. But supposing it is for me? Well, they'll be just as nice about it and let you in. <laughs> They're very fair that way. Oh, stop it, will you? Well, before I go down, I better tell Alice. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of hate to tell her about it. Why? You ain't going in. Yeah, I know, but you know how women are. Mm. Don't give you a chance to explain. I'll just mention induction notice and she'll get hysterical and probably start bawling and carrying on something awful. You know how they are. <laughs> well, come on, we gotta tell her. I'll get my hanky out. <laughs> I've got something to tell you. I was listening, and Philip opened that letter, and he... Really? You were eavesdropping. You were spying on Phil. That's a horrible thing to do, and I'm ashamed of you. And what was in the letter? <laughs> it was a notice from his draft board to report for induction. You mean they're drafting Phil? Yes. Ha, 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 isn't it a pity? <laughs> that notice can't be for Phil. I'd better go in and reassure him that it's... No. No. I think I'll teach him a lesson for opening mail that doesn't belong to him. Well, he thinks you're going to get hysterical when he tells you the news. Oh, he does. Oh, well, I'll just... Quiet, Alice. He's coming in now. Shh. Little mother. (laughs) Mom, I gotta have a talk to you. Now, look, something's come up, and and I, I want you to be brave about this. You see, Alice, I... Frankie, you got the smelling salts ready? (laughs) Oui, mon capitaine. Now, Alice, don't take this too hard. No, no, now, because, look, it's a mistake. Now, let me explain everything. I got a notice to report for induction in the Army. Oh, Phil, I'm so proud of you. Now, but I... Just think you'll be serving your country for 21 long months. But, Alice, I'm... Don't forget to ride. Look, I'm trying to tell you... Oh, what time does your boat sail for overseas? I'm not even in yet And she's got me on a troop train Are you a shill for the draft board? Gosh, Phil You don't know how honored I am Of all the millions of young men to pick from They select my old man Wish I had a wife who worried over me like that Philip, you should be anxious to go. I wish it were me. I'd give anything, anything if I could go in your place. Would 15 cents be asking too much? <laughs> if you're really anxious to go, Willie, we could arrange it. Well, I don't think they'd take me, Franklin. I was in the last war. You were in the last war and we won it? <laughs> oh, I get it. You weren't on our side. He was, Frankie He had a very important job He saved the doctors A lot of time Now, what did he do? He was a model At the draft board If a guy came in For a physical And he looked like Willie He was automatically rejected (laughs) Hey, now get back Get lost, will you, kid? I'm trying to work Something out here Look Alice, as I was trying To tell you Now, look This draft notice Is all a mistake Oh, I know it is, Phil I know I was just kidding you All you have to do Is go down to the draft board And they'll straighten it all out Oh, well, thank goodness You know, honey, for a minute, I thought she didn't care if I won or not. But I should have known better. You couldn't get along without me, could you? 
Oh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Why, Phil, do you know what it would mean to me if you weren't here? What? I'd be able to sing two songs on the program. <laughs> now, don't be selfish. One is enough. The snow is snowing. The wind is blowing. But I can weather the storm. What do I care? But it may storm. I've got my love to keep me warm. I can't remember a worse December. Just watch those icicles fall. What do I care if icicles fall? I've got my love to keep me warm. Off with my overcoat, off with my gloves. I need no overcoat. I'm burning with love, my heart's on flame grows higher, so I will weather the storm. What do I care how much it may storm? I've got my love to keep me warm. Off with my overcoat, off with my gloves. I will weather the storm. What do I care how much it may storm? I've got my love to keep me Well, so long, Alice. I better go down to the induction center and get this over with. Hey, Frankie, come hmm? on, go along with me, huh? All right. I got my car out front, Curly. I'll drive you down. Hey, Mr. Harris, can I see you for a minute? Later, Julius, later. I got to go down to the induction center. I got a draft notice from the Army. Okay, I'll see <laughs> What Army? <laughs> the United States Army. What's your language, Mac? <laughs> You're speaking of the country I love. You can stop worrying, Junior. There's been a mistake. This draft notice is for another Phil Harris. Another one? Yeah. <laughs> Seems that there are two Phil Harrises. Oh, no. <laughs> Things ain't bad enough. There's got to be another one yet. <laughs> I didn't think it was fair of him to take a man as old and decrepit as you. What do you mean, decrepit? I'm in great shape. I'd have no trouble passing a physical for the Army. Are you kidding? You'd be a 4F and a campfire girl. Why did they go all the way to Bikini to drop an atom bomb when they could get a target like this right here at home? Supposing this notice ain't a mistake and they do take you in. You ain't gonna have to worry about it, kid. I'm over age, and besides, I got flat feet. 
That won't stop them. They drafted my uncle and they never should have done it. The poor guy's got ten fingers. What are you talking about? Everybody's got ten fingers. I want him. <laughs> stop exaggerating. That's impossible. I don't know, Frankie. He looks like the kind of a kid who might have a ten-fingered uncle. <laughs> Come on, Frankie, let's get out the draft board. Forget about it. No, no, wait a minute, Mr. Harris. Wait a minute. Maybe I can help you. I got a friend who works at the draft board, and if you gotta go in, he'll fix you up with a soft job. If I gotta go in, I don't want no soft... <laughs> How tender would it be? That'd <laughs> be a cinch. All you have to do is inspect rifles. They pass them to you, and all you gotta do is look down the barrel and pull the trigger. <laughs> I'm sorry, that don't appeal to me You got nothing to worry about It's an easy job If the rifle don't go off You throw it on a pile on one side But supposing it does go off Well, in that case They throw you on a pile on the other side Come on, Remley Let's get away from this bloodthirsty infant I wonder what makes him that way Frustration <laughs> Probably wanted to be a vampire bat <laughs> Goodbye, Julius Hey, Mr. Harris, don't you want me to call my friend and fix you up with that soft job? No, I don't If I have to go in, I'll take my chances He'll take his chances The big windbag <laughs> He's just brave because he knows they won't take him I wish I... Wait a minute I think I'll call my friend at the draft board anyway. He could throw a little scare into old Harmony Grits. <laughs> well, here we are, Curly. Selective Service Board. Let's go in and straighten out this mistake. Yeah, all right. Hmm? You know, Remley... In a way, I wish it wasn't a... You sure it's a mistake? I'm positive. In that case, I'm sorry it isn't me they're calling. I'd love to be in the Army, and I'll oh, get... Oh, stop it. You're making me nauseous. <laughs> Come on, let's go in. Well, it ain't my fault I'm too old to be taken. Yes, sir, what can I do for you? Oh, uh, my name is Phil Harris, and I've got this draft notice by mistake. Oh, yes, Phil Harris. We've been expecting you. Yeah, you see, I'm the Phil Harris We know who... all about you. Phil Harris, age 25, sex male, occupation band leader. Take him, Doc. Well, Heart's okay, chest okay, eyes okay. <laughs> Look, I... Waist 34, chest 42, hat 6 and 7 eighths. Take him, sir. But you wait a minute, I... swear to uphold the honor of your country and the Constitution of the United States of America? Yeah, but... Attention! <laughs> Now, look here, you got the wrong man. Frankie, tell him, say something. My, you look handsome in your uniform, girl. <laughs> now, stop it, all of you. I'm being railroaded. That's insubordination, soldier. We're very careful the way we pick our men. Oh, sure, sure. Nice thorough physical you gave me. Harris, I examined you very carefully. Carefully? I could have been dead and you wouldn't have known it. <laughs> Harris, you sound like you don't want to do your duty. Well, of, of course I do. I, I'd, I'd be glad to, but... Uh... I'm a year over draft age, you see, sir. Uh, I'm 26. You are? Hey, Harris, come here. What? 
Don't tell anybody and I'll do you a favor and let you in anyway. <laughs> you will? Hey, Sarge. Come here. <laughs> what? Do me a favor and don't do me any favors. <laughs> I don't care if you are a year older. We're taking you in anyhow. Well, in that case, now look here. In that case, I'm going to have to tell you the truth about my age, Sergeant. I'm over 26. How old are you? 112. <laughs> now look, Harris, let's not be facetious. I see no reason why you should not be accepted. But you don't understand. You see, Sergeant, I'm not a well man, am I, Frankie? You're as healthy as a horse. I am not. <laughs> I mean, I am not. You see, sir, I suffer from an, an occupational disease. I keep seeing orange and blue sponsors in front of me. And in order to sleep, I have to count 10,000 Rexall druggists jumping over counters. And the only thing that keeps me alive is the 2,000 pure Rexall drugs I take every night before I go to bed. You are in bad shape. Oh, yeah. He's suffering from an acute case of commercial plugitis. <laughs> Commonly known as get the commercial in whether it fits or not. <laughs> Mr. Harris, if you're in such bad shape, we don't want you. You better go home and spend your remaining hours with your family. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Get my wheelchair and we'll go, Frankie. Let's get up. <laughs> <laughs> What a character. He's an even bigger schmo than Julius said he was. That'll teach him not to tamper with selective service mail. <laughs> I wonder what kind of a story he'll tell his wife when he gets home. So you see, honey, when I got down there, they didn't want me. But I wouldn't take no for an answer. When I saw those other fellows in uniform... It sort of got me. It reminded me of the time I wore a uniform. And well, well, I'm back in khaki again. Phil, you mean... Yes, sir, I signed up for another four-year hitch as a scoutmaster. <laughs> I'm in the beavers now. I'm not behind the plow. I'll never get rich. I'll never get Before Alice and Phil return, here's an interesting conversation that took place in a certain Rexall drugstore recently. You know, Helen, before the baby came, I never used to worry about what brand of drug products to use. But now I'm really beginning to think about it. Which is exactly why I maneuvered you into this Rexall drugstore. What do you mean? I want the druggist here to tell you what he told me a long time ago. Oh, Mr. Druggist. Yes, ladies? I'd like you to tell my friend just why Rexall drug products are so reliable. Well, seeing you two standing here by this hosiery counter reminds me of one reason. Do you know that some liquid Rexall drug products are filtered through 60 separate sheets of the finest nylon? Nylon? Exactly. You see, ma'am, that's done to make sure that not even the tiniest particle of a solid remains. Now, we Rexall druggists know that all of the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company get the same kind of patient, careful testing. 
And that's why some 10,000 independent family druggists will tell you you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. And I get these products only at a Rexall drugstore? That's right. Just look for the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window. Good health to all from Rexall. on, Phil. Let's turn on the radio. Oh, honey, I'm in no mood. I just got out of the army. Oh, but Phil... <laughs> Phil, Fred Al... Alan follows us on the air now, and I don't want to miss his program. I think he's so cute. I'm crazy about his New England twang. Yeah, me too. I love every word that comes out of his nose. And I also <laughs> want to welcome Horace Height to our network every Sunday here on NBC at 4 o'clock. Thank you, Horace. Good luck to you, and good luck to you, Fred. Good night, everybody. This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. Included in today's cast was Alan Reed. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. Alice Fay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. This is NBC... Excuse it, mister. You was expecting maybe somebody else, but this is Pansy Nussbaum. The Fred Allen Show is arriving in a couple seconds over NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Breaking news, breaking news. We interrupt this classic podcast I was going to present with some new information. What a deal. Um, I was just going to present the classic podcast of this uh, that I recorded, uh, what, five years ago, I guess. And because I thought the introduction was fine, it talks about the very first presentation of the New Year's skit that Jack will do for many years. Uh, but then I thought uh, I would search YouTube and see if it's actually available for free for everybody to watch. The last one, okay, so he did a whole bunch of these in radio over the course of the 1940s, for sure, and then he did, like, one in the 1950s on radio, and then his very last one was on television that he did this skit. And what makes the television one so cool, and it's probably my second favorite television episode ever, my first being um, the Christmas episode, of course, but uh, this one is one of my favorites uh, for television in that they present it exactly as they would for radio. So you get to see them at the mics with the scripts and the whole thing. And he never, I don't think, ever did this again on this television series quite this way. And so that's one thing that's really cool about it. The other thing that's really cool is it's the only time on television that he presented his New Year's skit, uh, his New Year's fantasy so this way you get a chance to bookend it and hear the very first one. And then if you, uh, I will post a link so that you can get to the very last one. Okay. 
And if somehow the link doesn't work for you, you're over on Stitcher or something and you can't get to my my podcast. But I mean, the way you get to it, everybody should be able to get to it. If you just type in buckbenny.com, that should take you right to my podcast so you can check this out. But maybe you're listening to this later years and you can't find it, whatever. If you just go to YouTube and you do a search for Jack Benny New Year's, and look for the New Year's shows. There'll be a few of them. There's like Jack Spends New Year's Alone, which of course is a famous episode as well. That's never done much for me. But look for the one that says, it just says Jack Benny New Year's, I think. And it's like him from 1953, maybe, or something like that. Anyway, very enjoyable show. Uh, The first half of it is not the best. They talk about, um, of course... um, the Rose Bowl game, and I think they have the coaches on and so forth. But it's the last half of the show, the last 15 minutes, where they present the New Year's skit, which is really, really cool. Anyway, so I'm going to do a link to that, enjoy it, and um, and then enjoy the rest of my classic podcast here. So without further ado, here's my classic podcast. Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I have a great 30s Thursday for you today. One of my favorite Jack Benny episodes of all time. Uh, by the way, Happy New Year. Happy 2009. Hope you hope you had a great New Year's. Anyway, this episode of Jack Benny is the first New Year's fantasy episode that he ever created. And the New Year's fantasy, if you haven't heard them, uh, basically it reflects what happened during the whole course of the year through a kind of a, pl- a fantasy play. Jack will explain it during the episode. But he did these starting this year in 1938-39, uh, the end of uh, 38, beginning of 39, of course. And then uh, he did them sporadically. Most years in the 40s have them. And then I think one year in 1950, I think 1952, and then he did it once on his television show. And if you get a chance to watch that episode on the television show, it's on a lot of the um, commercially available uh, DVDs. Uh, that is fun to watch because he shows you exactly how it's done on the radio. Uh, so on television, you get to see them with the microphones, with the sound effects. He introduces the sound effects, and they do the whole thing. And so it's a, really interesting to watch that if you get a chance. Um, Anyway, today's episode from beginning to end, great episode, great writing, um, just a really uh, enjoyable show. So have fun with it, and we'll see you back here next week. I just love these uh, episodes from 1938-39. They're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, and enjoy Kenny while he lasts. We've got another uh, few months of Kenny, and then he'll be gone. So uh, and then we'll get Dennis Day on board. Uh, starting next season. So, enjoy the show. J-E-L-L-O The Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with No Wonder. Well, here we are at the beginning of another year, and Jell-O wants to send greetings to all of you. And we've received a letter that makes a swell New Year's greeting for us. It's from a woman who's been using Jell-O year in and year out for the past 37 years. She is Mrs. C.C. C. Brown of Huntington, West Virginia. And listen to what she writes. 
We bought our first package of Jell-O in December 1902. We lived in the country then and made few trips to a store, so the Jell-O was a bit of a luxury, saved for the holiday gathering of kin and friends. Needless to say, Jell-O made a hit, and we've used it exclusively ever since. When I had my own home, I wanted something special. Nothing so filled the requirements as Jell-O. In all those 37 years of use, I've never had a package that wasn't perfect, and Jell-O is a prime favorite with my family. Well, thank you, Mrs. Brown. That's a grand letter to start us off on 1939. And to the rest of you, we'd like to say, if you want to give your family their prime favorite dessert, if you want to enjoy that delicious extra-rich fruit flavor, look for the big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this being the first day of the new year, it behooves me to introduce the star of this program in a manner befitting his dignity and position. Well. He is a man whose illustrious character and many fine qualities have my sincere admiration. Oh, Don, please. A man whose lovable nature and unselfish devotion to others... Say, Jack. Quiet, Mary. I want to hear this. (laughs) Go ahead, Don. Whose unselfish devotion to others has endeared him to the hearts of his public. How true. So I bring you none other than that sparkling, scintillating, outstanding personality... That's not me. I'll kill myself. (laughs) Jack Benny. Thank you. Thank you. Hello again. This is Jack Benny talking, one of the sweetest guys I've ever met. (laughs) And, Don, I want to thank you for that beautiful introduction. You know, as a rule... A man has to be dead before he gets such a lovely tribute. Well, I wrote it just before the broadcast while you were lying down. (laughs) Oh, you didn't expect me to get up, eh? Well, I am pretty tired after last night. Hey, by the way, Don, what did you do New Year's Eve? Did you have any fun? Oh, I had a swell time, Jack. Simply wonderful. That's good. First, I took my wife to a movie, and then we went to the Coconut Grove to celebrate. Well, that was nice. First a picture, and then the Coconut Grove. I suppose you danced a lot. No, my wife left her shoes in the movies. (laughs) Well, there's nothing like relaxing at the cinema. I often slip my shoes off myself, but I'm getting so absent-minded, I'm not going to do it anymore. You're not. No, the other night at Grauman's Chinese, I was clear down to my underwear before the ushers stopped me. <laughs> oh, it was embarrassing. I can imagine. Well, tell me, Jack, how did you spend New Year's Eve? Any excitement last night? Well, I had a fairly good time, Don. I took Mary to the Wilshire Bowl, you know, where Phil Harris is playing. Oh, you did? Yeah. Say, you had a pretty good time in my place last night, didn't you, Jackson? Yes, I had a nice time, Philson. <laughs> But as long as it was your place, you might have seen that I got a decent table. What are you talking about? Your table wasn't so far away. It wasn't. I was so far from the bandstand, I couldn't even see the circles under your eyes. (laughs) It's a fine table. Oh, you're exaggerating, Jack. There were a lot of people sitting behind you. Listen, Phil, the only people sitting behind me were from Pasadena. And they were home at the time. (laughs) What a New Year's Eve. 
Well, Jack, maybe Phil couldn't help it. New Year's Eve's a big night, and after all, first come, first serve. That's what burns me up, Don. I was the first one in the place. When I got there so early, the manager asked me to help blow up the balloon. <laughs> How do you like that? Well, you got paid for it, didn't you? That's not the point. Now, let me tell you another thing, Phil. I don't mind my table being far away, but the next time you seat me behind a post, please see that there's a knot hole in it. <laughs> behind a post? What are you talking about? Oh, never mind. Hello, Jack. Happy New Year. Hmm, Happy New Year. I was just telling Phil about the fine table he gave us last night. Imagine seating us behind a post. It burns me up. You're crazy, Jack. We weren't behind a post. We weren't? No, that was a piece of confetti on your glasses. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I nearly broke my neck trying to peek around it. <laughs> anyway, post or no post, we were certainly sitting far enough away from everything. Well, I'm glad we were. I was so ashamed sitting next to you with that old-fashioned tuxedo you had on. Why don't you buy a new one? Oh, how often do I wear a tuxedo? Besides, it isn't so old. It isn't? No. Go on, I put my hand in your pocket and pulled out a program from Ford's Theater. <laughs> Listen, Mary, that suit might be a little out of style, but they're still wearing single-breaded... Bre single... <laughs> now, listen, Mary, that suit might be a little out of style, but they're still wearing single-breasted tuxedos. Not with a belt in the back. <laughs> well, they're... Coming back, so don't be so smart. Mary's right, Jack. Oh, she is. Your pants were so tight you had to wear your garters on the outside. <laughs> Listen, Maestro, one more crack out of you, and you'll be leading the organ on the Lum and Abner program. <laughs> And another thing, Phil, the next time I dance by your orchestra, watch your baton. <laughs> Remember that. Okay, buddy. Hmm, buddy, yet. Yeah. Incidentally, fellas, this being the new year, I was going to give you all a raise in salary, but the way you've been acting today, I'm not going to do it. I'd be satisfied just to get my regular salary on time. Now, wait a minute, Phil. Don't give me that. I put your check in the mail every Monday morning. Well, from now on, don't pin it on a postcard. I don't want people to know what I'm making. <laughs> All right, Phil, cut out the beefing. Let's see if we can't inaugurate the new year with a little harmony. Oh, Jack, you want to hear something awful? What, Mary? Here it is, New Year's, and I forgot to write a poem about it. Oh, that's a shame. I'll sit right down and dash one off. Okay, hurry it up. I'll fill in a little time for you, Mary. Ladies and gentlemen, while Miss Livingston is struggling with her latest brainchild, let me remind you that one of the best ways to start out the new year is to have Jell-O for dessert. Darn this pen. It is tempting, delicious, easy to make, and comes in six delicious flavors. Hey, Jack, how do you spell knowledge? With an N or a K? With a K. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry. With a capital K? Orange? Yes, a capital K. Lemon and lime, for heaven's sake. <laughs> I'm sorry, Don. And now, folks, going from the... All right, Jack, I'm all set. Why, Mary, is your poem finished already? Yeah. Gee, you work faster than George Bernard Shaw. Well, his beard gets in his way. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, what's the title of your poem? Goodbye, 1938. Hello, 1939. Well, that covers everything. Go ahead. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 
please don't be a sad and blue year. These last 12 months have been sublime. So goodbye, 38. Hello, 39. Well, so far, nobody is screaming. <laughs> you just wait. Oh. I wonder who this coming yar will be our favorite movie star. Hmm. Will it be Garbo hmm. or Sonia Heine? So goodbye, 38. Hello, 3090. 90? Uh, what has this year in store for us? For thee and thou, and thy and thus. Hmm. Will Don get fatter? Will Phil be gay? Will Kenny get knowledge with a capital K? I doubt it. I'd like to ask you if I dare. Will Jack continue to lose his hair? Mary. And when it's gone, will it stay away? Goodbye, 38. Hello, toupee. <laughs> Mary, get to the last verse, will you? It's coming up now. That's good. Oh, Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Please don't be a sad and blue year. We will give you one more chance. So goodbye, Broadway. Hello, France. <laughs> well. Mary, you finally did it. Hey, Phil, do you think you can follow Mary's poem with a number? I'll try. Okay, hit it, boys. Wait a minute. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? Oh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. To the greatest man I know. And I bring you fondest greeting. There's a wagon. I must go. <laughs> well, I'm glad they let him out for our program. Play, Phil. <laughs> Kiss, played by Phil Harris and his original orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Original? Yeah. Wait a minute, Jack. This isn't the band I started out with. I don't mean that, Phil. I mean, when they look at their music, they still play something original. <laughs> and speaking of the band, Phil, you'd think that they could start out the new year by dressing a little better. Where'd they get those awful-looking neckties? Aren't they atrocious? They certainly are. Where'd they get them? I gave them to them for Christmas. Oh, and say, and that reminds me, Phil, that was some Christmas present you sent me. 
You must have been under the weather when you bought it. Oh, no, I wasn't. I was sober as a judge when I bought your gift. You were not. I was, too. Then let me ask you something. What use have I got for a porthole? Isn't that a fine present, Mary? A porthole. Well, if your head gets any bigger, you can use it for a monocle. All right, don't make it any worse than it is. Oh, hello, Kenny. Hiya, Jack. Happy New Year. Well, Kenny, I see you're still celebrating. You must have had a good time last night. I'll say. I didn't get to bed until 10 o'clock. Gosh, I'm a wreck. Kenny, how can you be a wreck if you went to bed at 10 o'clock? I slept in a folding bed and I forgot to pull it down. Well, it's none of my business, Kenny, but would you mind telling me how you got into a folding bed without pulling it down first? I'm not going to tell till I get it patented. <laughs> oh, that's right. Guard your secret carefully. And stop blowing that horn. Well, I'm practicing for the Rose Bowl game at Pasadena tomorrow. Say, are you going, Jack? I certainly am. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Hey, Mary, I got a couple of good seats. You want to go with me? No. I went with you last year, and you were the only one in the stand wearing a raccoon coat and a beanie. Well? And the way you were waving that pennant around, I was so embarrassed. Well, what's wrong with waving a pennant? Yours said Waukegan High School on it. All right, you don't have to go with me. I'll take somebody else. You want to go with me, Kenny? Sure, but I'll have to bring my girl along. I don't see how, Kenny. I've only got two seats. Well, I'll invite her anyway. Maybe we can lose her in the crowd. <laughs> yes, that ought to solve our problem. Incidentally, I mislaid my tickets somewhere in the house. I hope Rochester finds them. Hey, Jack, who do you pick to win the game, Duke or USC? Well, Phil, I'm a USC man myself, and I think it's a cinch for them to win. Oh, you do, eh? Well, how much do you want to bet? Well, I didn't say anything about betting, Phil. I... Just told you who was going to win. Well, if you're so sure about it, why don't you want to bet? Because gambling is naughty. <laughs> and you know it. You mean because you're a scaredy cat. Scaredy cat? Listen, Harris, what are the odds on the game? Two to one on USC. All right, wise guy, I'll bet you 20 cents to a dime and put up or shut up. <laughs> well, what are you stalling for, Harris? He's afraid if he wins, you'll fire him. <laughs> Uh, that's it. Mm, I thought you'd welch on it. Twenty cents to a dime. Make that a hundred dollars to fifteen. You got a bet. Don't try to show off, Phil. You had your chance. <laughs> now let's drop it. You know, I don't think Jack wanted to bet at all. Think, Candy. Your job on this program is to sing. Well, I can have a hobby, can't I? <laughs> you better stick to stamps, Kenny, and go ahead with your song so we can get to do our play tonight. Okay. Hold it a minute. That must be Rochester. I asked him to call me. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. This is Rochester. Yeah, I was waiting for your call. Did you find my two tickets for the Rose Bowl game? No, I looked high and low. I can't find them anywhere. Oh, God, that's a shame. Well, keep on looking. They might be in the house. They must be in the house someplace. Okay. So long. So long. Say, boss, can I have tomorrow off? I gotta go to a wedding in Pasadena. <laughs> A wedding in Pasadena. Tell me, Rochester, who's getting married? Uh, 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 what was that, boss? I said, who's getting married in Pasadena tomorrow? Oh, Anna mine. An aunt of yours, eh? Who's she marrying? Uh, some fellow that's going to be my uncle. 
Uh-huh, I see. Now, at what time does this wedding take place? They kick off by one thing. <laughs> What's that? What did you say? Oh, uh, nothing. Keep quiet, operator. Rochester, there was no operator on the line. Now, you found those Rose Bowl tickets, didn't you? Well, I... You found those tickets, didn't you? Am I on the oath? <laughs> Answer me, did you or did you not find those tickets? Sing, Kenny. <laughs> Listen, Rochester, when I get home tonight, I want to find those two tickets on the dresser in my bedroom. Okay, boss. Happy New Year. Go ahead and sing, Kenny. That Rochester, the only way I can keep things in my house is to nail him down. You sung by Kenny Baker. And Kenny, that was very good for a fellow who stayed up until 10 o'clock. Your voice hardly showed it. Oh, I'll put myself together in a couple days. I hope so. And Kenny, if you got to bed at 10 o'clock last night, how'd you get those awful circles under your eyes? I painted them on, ain't I nuts? <laughs> you sure are. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction this evening... I was going to paint wrinkles on my forehead, but my mother wouldn't let me. Well, she was right. 
And now, ladies and gentlemen... If I was Kenny's mother, I'd trade him in for an Airedale. Now, Mary, Kenny's mother wouldn't do that. And now, folks... We've got an Airedale! <laughs> all right, all right. If you two will quiet down, I'd like to get on with our play. And now, folks... You know something, Kenny? I never met your mother. Oh, you didn't? Phil, for heaven's sake, who cares? Now, let's get on with the play. Everybody's butting in here but Don. Well, I met Mrs. Baker. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to know it. And now, folks, going from Mrs. Baker to our feature attraction of the evening, uh, this being the first day of the new year, tonight we are going to present an original play, a sort of a New Year's fantasy, entitled The New Tenant, or Goodbye 38, Hello 39. Now, I will... You stole that from my poem. Mary, that was just a coincidence, believe me. Now, in this fantasy, I will play the part of 1938. And Mary... You know, Jack, I read this play four times, and I still can't understand it. Well, in the first place, Kenny, our play is a little too deep. And in the second place, you're a little dope. <laughs> now, uh, I will be 1938, and Mary will be Mrs. 1938, my loving, loyal wife. And we have 12 children. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I don't know. It's censored. Then <laughs> keep still. Now, our play opens in the home of Mr. and Mrs. 1938, who live in a big round house called The Earth. It is almost midnight on December 31st, and their lease is about to expire. Curtain. Music. <laughs> Oh, Mariah, Mariah. What do you want, Pa? Better hurry up with that packing. The landlord said we got to get out by midnight to make room for the new tenant. The new tenant? Who is he? Oh, some little nudist by the name of 39. He don't know what he's getting into, does he, Ma? Nope. This house sure has been a mess, ain't it? You said it. Remember a couple of months ago when the bathtub ran over and got New England soaking wet? <laughs> I sure do. And say, Pa... What about the time last spring when the roof leaked and we had to hang Los Angeles out to dry? Wasn't that awful? Yep. Hey, Pa, turn on the moon. I can't see what I'm packing here. Okay. Hey, moon. What do you want, you old fossil? <laughs> I want some light down here. And quit winking at my wife. Okay. Say, you want some milk, too? Milk? Yeah, a cow just jumped over me. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. Quit gabbing, Pa. We ain't got much time. That's right. Darn those shooting stars, they're having a feud again. <laughs> Doggone it, Pa. Even with all our troubles, I kind of hate to leave here. So do I. After all, we did have a lot of fun. Remember the time that scallywag Howard Hughes flew around our house in five and a half days? Do I? <laughs> he sure had me dizzy. And then that fella Corrigan, he started to fly from the kitchen to the parlor, and the darn fool ended up on the back porch. <laughs> Say, Pa, did you pack up all the swing music? I'm doing it now. Flatfoot Bluegee with the floy, floy. Might as well take that with us. <laughs> Say, Ma, it's five minutes to twelve. We better start rounding up the kids. Where are they? Well, January, February, and March are outside playing on a cloud. Oh, where's April? He's taking a shower. <laughs> oh, he's always doing that. The rest of them are around here someplace. Well, tell them to stick close. We're going to leave in just a few minutes. I wonder who that can be. I'll go over and see. The tisket, the tasket, boy, am I sick of that. 
Well, well, look who's here. Who is it, Pa? It's old man Mars from across the Milky Way. Hiya, Mars. Hiya, neighbor. <laughs> Heard you were leaving tonight, so thought I'd drop over and say goodbye. Well, that was mighty sweet of you. Say, I sure handed you a scare a couple of months ago, didn't I? You certainly... <laughs> Hey, what was the big idea, anyway? Well, I really didn't mean it. I was lighting a cigarette, and I reached down in the Hudson River to put the match out. And what happened? Well, my hand slipped, and I gave New Jersey a hot foot. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> Say, Mars, you'll have to excuse me now. It's almost midnight, and I gotta be getting out of here. So long. So long. Oh, say, I got my rocket ship outside. Can I give you a lift anywhere? No, thanks. We'll be all right. Say, those rocket ships smoke a lot, don't they? Yeah, the exhaust pipes are bad. I just flew by heaven, and now angels really got dirty faces. <laughs> well, if you pass by the other place, give my regards to Fred Allen. <laughs> so long, Mars. So long, well, Ma, it's almost midnight, so put on that silly hat of yours and let's get going. Okay, Pa. Hmm, there's the first stroke of 12. I wonder what's keeping the new tenant. Don't worry, he'll be here. Doggone, Ma, I forgot to found, uh, find out where we're moving to. Thought you bought a place over on Jupiter. No, but I took a look at Venus. <laughs> mm, time's a-fleetin'. We can't leave until that little brat gets here. That must be him now. Yep. Come in. Well, hello, young fella. Are you the little New Year? I ain't Bobby Brain. <laughs> well, well, my boy, come right in. Well, this is it, young man. Tell me, what do you think of your new home? Boy, what a dump. This house could stand a lot of fixing up. I know it, son. A lot of things wrong here, my boy. Yes, sirree. That Spanish shawl on the piano there is all ripped and torn. Need a lot of mending. And another thing, the china is just about all smashed to pieces. And while I think of it, son, if you see some little lost sheep roaming about, try and find a place for them around the house somewhere. I'll do what I can. For heaven's sake, let's get going. Just a second more. Now, there's just one more thing, young fella. What's that? May not sound like much, but it's a mighty big issue. Your greatest worry, my boy, is going to be to pick out a Scarlet O'Hara. <laughs> <laughs> That had me groggy all year. Come on, Pa, you're talking too much. I'm coming, Ma. Say, young fella, if you want any jello, you'll find plenty in the pantry. Thanks, old-timer. You're welcome. Happy New Year, young fella. Happy New Year. Come on, Ma, let's go. new dessert for the holiday season. It's one the whole family will enjoy, and it's easy to prepare. It's Jell-O Butterscotch Pudding. And until you've tried it, you don't know just how delicious a pudding dessert can be. Creamy, smooth, rich, and tasty, with a real old-fashioned butterscotch flavor that will bring the family back for more. Then try the new Jell-O Vanilla Pudding. Tempting, delicate, and full-flavored. And the Jell-O Chocolate Pudding, smooth and chocolatey, the kind that Mother used to make, but far quicker and easier. For all three Jell-O puddings take next to no time to prepare. There's only a few minutes cooking required. You'll find the simple directions on every package. And these new puddings will be a real surprise to you, for they're just as good as your own. 
made with the same fine, wholesome ingredients, with a taste and texture you'll say is perfect. The best way to buy is to get three packages at a time. So ask your grocer for Jell-O, butterscotch, vanilla, and a chocolate pudding. The real homemade kind. This is the last number of the 14th program in the new Jell-O series. And we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Are you listening, Tommy? And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to announce that in response to many, many requests, and owing to a renewed and timely interest, we are going to, uh, again going to present our version of Walt Disney's famous picture, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, next Sunday night. So if you missed it the first time, folks, be sure and tune in. And if you heard it, tune in anyway, as we're going to have a brand new Prince Charming. Guess who, folks? <laughs> oh, Andy, you gave it away! Good night, folks. Program, 